Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We have another commemoration. February is like the month of commemorations, There's man. A, whole a bunch lot of, them. of commemorations this month. So we have another commemoration to share with you. A lot of history to yes. dig into today. We're looking forward to that. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin, for your support of the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. Joining us today, the Reverend Peter Ill, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. Pastor Ill, thanks for joining us today. So glad to get to be with you. So today, February 23rd, is the day that the church commemorates Polycarp of Smyrna. That's just an average name. (laughs) Can't wait to learn more. Who is Polycarp of Smyrna? I'm joking about that being a common name. It's a rather (laughs) unusual name today. What's in a name like Polycarp of Smyrna? I I wish I could tell you more about the name Polycarp. I actually don't know much more about what his name means or where it comes from. Um, I can tell you a little bit about Smyrna. The city of Smyrna is presently called Izmir in Turkey or Asia Minor, and it's one of the seven seacoast cities there. And so if you're thinking about Turkey and you're familiar with Ephesus, uh, it the city of Smyrna is north of Ephesus and south of Pergamum. And then uh, Philadelphia and Laodicea, Sardis and Thyatira are all nearby. So these are part of the seven churches that get referenced, say, in the book of Revelation. The island of Patmos, where St. John was exiled, isn't very far from there either. And so knowing that little bit about Smyrna is actually really helpful when we start to think about Polycarp in his uh, place in history, because Polycarp is one of the oldest church fathers that we have records of. He was born in in or around 69 AD, um, and he, he had a relatively long life until 155 AD, And he served there in the city of Smyrna as a pastor and as a bishop and as a faithful Christian in that area. But one of the neatest things to know about Polycarp is that he actually learned the gospel from St. John. One of Polycarp's students goes on to tell us about that, about how Polycarp was a disciple of John, who was a disciple of Jesus. And so he is one of the, the closest to Jesus in time. and. I mean, he got to hear the gospel from John, who was the beloved disciple and who wrote one of the gospels and who uh, had a beautiful confession of faith in his epistles and in the book of Revelation. I think that's one of the coolest things about doing these, learning about these these saints, these people who have gone before us. It it makes it so real that those connections that that these people had to Christ and to the life of Christ and His work. I I think that's super cool that <laughs> of, of that that lineage of learning the gospel. Who do we know? Who else would have been a contemporary of? We we don't know a whole lot about his contemporaries. We know that he. So the disciple that I mentioned of Polycarp's is Irenaeus. And so Irenaeus is is roughly close in time, but uh, Polycarp was doing a lot of his work as a bishop and a pastor in the in the first part of the the 100s. So probably about 120, 130 is about the is where a lot of his work was happening. So 
at that point, we don't know a whole lot about his contemporaries. There's just so much that we, we don't know um, that far back in a time when not everything was written down. Mm-hmm. But Irenaeus would definitely be one contemporary. The Apostle John would be another contemporary. But as far as other church fathers, Polycarp is kind of in an interesting spot where he is. He's kind of alone. So he was a student of John. Uh, how then did he go on to serve the church? Wow, you're asking all the hard questions today. Once again, I, I wish I had more details on how it is that Polycarp began to be a pastor and later on a bishop. But not a lot of those details are recorded. What is recorded about Polycarp is some of the things that he did as a pastor and a bishop. And one of the things is he actually wrote his own epistle to the church in Philadelphia. And so it's it's full of scriptural language, and you can definitely hear John, but you can also hear the way that Jesus speaks in the apostles being quoted and kind of oozing its way through this epistle of Polycarp. You also have the way that he continues to write and focus everything in Jesus Christ. And you can certainly tell that in the face of adversity, when the church is being persecuted, he's writing about faithfulness and steadfastness, um, especially, well, I have a little bit of a quote, and you'll maybe just hear how this sounds so much like scripture, uh, even though it's not Polycarp writes. Stand fast, therefore, in these things, and follow the example of the Lord, being firm and unchangeable in the faith, loving the brotherhood and being attached to one another, joined together in the truth, exhibiting the meekness of the Lord in your intercourse with one another and despising no one. When you can do good, defer it not, because alms delivers from death. Be all of you subject to one another, having your conduct blameless among the Gentiles, that ye may both receive praises for your good works, and the Lord may not be blasphemed through you. But woe to him by whom the name of the Lord is blasphemed. Teach, therefore, sobriety to all, and manifest it also in your own con. That's all from the epistle of Polycarp, uh, chapter 10. And it talks about how we are called to remain faithful to Christ and to the brothers and sisters in Christ that we live in the midst of. You're right. That does sound like it could be straight out of out of the New Testament, and yet it's not. That's that's a really cool thing. Now you mentioned that the way that he was writing to the the churches at this time. What was a kind of a, a I don't know, super brief overview. What was the the state of the church like at this point in time? Part of it depends where in the early church you were at this time. So around mm-hmm. this time in Rome, you have the persecutions first of Nero and then the other emperors coming. In Asia Minor, the the Greek atheists and the Greek deists who believed in gods or who worshipped the Roman emperor, along with the Jews, were all opposed to Christianity. And so Christians in Asia Minor in the first century and in the first part of the first century found themselves in this perfect storm where you could say there's no god, you could talk about Caesar as a god, you could talk about the Jewish god, but you couldn't talk about Jesus being god in the flesh. And for that they were persecuted. And so Polycarp was a, a pastor and a bishop in a time when the church was under attack, especially for confessing the name of Jesus. And 
so much of his ministry and so much of other parts of his epistle is focused on his faithfulness to Christ. And there's also a written account about when Polycarp was martyred. And parts of it are kind of kind of cheeky. I'm not sure that I believe all of uh, the things that are said there in in that written work, the martyrdom of Polycarp. But some of the things that he said that I, boy, I really wish he said because they're they're spunky. But they confess Jesus as Lord, and they do it in a really wonderful way. You shared with us an excerpt from the Epistle of Polycarp. Do we have other? historical documents either well either from him or about him what have you encountered in your vocation as a pastor or in your formation as a you know as a seminarian becoming a pastor where did you learn about polycarp along the way i learned about polycarp some in uh, church history Polycarp being one of the first church fathers to be martyred. Uh, He wasn't the first martyr. Scripture tells us about St. Stephen, who was martyred even uh, before the conversion of Paul. And in in the document, The Martyrdom of Polycarp, it says that Polycarp was the 12th to be martyred in the city of Smyrna. So there were other martyrs before him, but he's very early on, say, in accounts of the martyrs, Maybe some listeners are familiar with Fox's Book of Martyrs or with other books that have these accounts of persecution and martyrdom. And Polycarp often starts it off. We also observe as bishop and martyr today because he is one of the first to be martyred for his faith as a church father and as a pastor and bishop. Earlier this month, we had Valentine, who was also a bishop and martyr, and, and the list goes on and there's a number of others. Valentine would have been about a couple hundred years after Polycarp, though. Fascinating. We have more history to learn today about Polycarp of Smyrna. We're talking with the Reverend Peter Ill, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. We'll continue this great history lesson for the commemoration of Polycarp of Smyrna in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Today, the church commemorates Polycarp of Smyrna, and uh, we're learning about him with Pastor Peter Ill of Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. Now, Pastor, we've learned a little bit about the history and the relationship of Polycarp to Jesus via John, being a student of John. You mentioned that he was martyred. Share with us the story of the martyrdom of Polycarp of Smyrna. So Polycarp was arrested when he was 86 years old for uh, being a pastor and bishop and for not honoring and offering incense to the to the emperor or to the caesar in rome and so this document the martyrdom of polycarp talks about how he went from one place to another and finally he laid down on a bed and he said if they're going to seek me out i'll let them just come get me and he 
according to the document, had a vision that he was going to be burned at the stake. And then the soldiers came and they arrested him and they took him into the stadium where they had already put to death a number of people who... Uh, whom the Romans regarded as atheists uh, or people who didn't believe it, who believed in a God different than the Roman gods or didn't believe that the Roman gods were authoritative. And so as they brought him in, they said to him, you know, pay attention to your old age, repent and say away with the atheists, as in people who don't recognize the, uh, the Roman group of gods and Caesar as a God. But the story goes that Polycarp walks into the middle of the stadium and he lifts up his hands and he waves around at the crowd there that's jeering at him. And he says, away with the atheists, right? It's just kind of this moment where you have like the gladiatorial stadium and everybody's wondering if he's going to repent. And instead he points at them and says, you are the atheists, away with you guys. Um, and then Polycarp declared one of the things that you'll see a lot of different places about Polycarp. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? That idea of for 86 years, I, God has been faithful to me. Why would I shake that up now? Is a wonderful testimony of faith to Christians today that he, that God is faithful to us. And our celebration of Polycarp is not a celebration of this man, but it's a celebration of the faith that God has given to him and a celebration of the faith that God gives to us. And so we look to our King and our Savior and say, he's been faithful to me. Why would I blaspheme against him now? I think that that seems like a common thread in the stories of these martyrs, that they're quite bold in the face of death. Um, something that uh, that seems to be, there's always that, that thread of of being very bold about their faith in the face of people who are persecuting them. What are some other things that we learn from, from Polycarp, but also from these other martyrs that we commemorate during our church year? One of the things that is, I think is really helpful and really important to remember is these celebrations and these commemorations aren't really just about the the person who died, but are really about the work of God. It is God who called Polycarp to faith. It is God who gave Polycarp an ant for the hope that fills him, as Peter talks about in his first epistle. Our Lord Jesus says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But then here we see it happening to Polycarp. And in these days, we begin to wonder, is the church today or soon going to be persecuted in a way similarly to how the church has been persecuted in the past? I'm no future teller. I, I have no idea. But if God kept Polycarp and Valentine and Lawrence and so many other of the early church fathers faithful even unto death, then the same Lord and God will continue to remain faithful for us. For whatever your number of years is, God is faithful and God will indeed provide. One of the other things that we learn about, about Polycarp is the date of his martyrdom was in 155 AD on February 23rd. And so today, February 23rd, we celebrate uh, this commemoration uh, and really, we're celebrating Polycarp's heavenly birthday. 
or his entrance into heaven, resting with Jesus, waiting for the resurrection when all things will be made right and when all things will be made new. And that's a case for many of these commemorations that we see, that many of these people are celebrated not on their their earthly birthday or when they were born, but on their heavenly birthday when they died, and in Polycarp's case, when he was martyred. Great explanation of of why we have commemorations. That's uh, very helpful. How would you say, or where do you see the the influence of Polycarp today? Do you, when you look at the church today or throughout history, do you see the influence of Polycarp in in any particular places? There is some influence. Uh, part of the challenge with with locating what exactly is is the influence of Polycarp is it's so early and we have so little written down the the way that he spoke in his epistle and the way that he is remembered by those who wrote the who wrote down the, the martyrdom of St Polycarp See, this is hugely important. I don't know if I should say fortunately or unfortunately, most of what we know and most of what we remember about Polycarp isn't his ministry or his life, but is really his death. He was burned at the stake, um, according to according to the tradition. They were going to nail him to the stake, and he said, no, no, the God who has given me faith to confess his name will give me strength to stand here in the fire. And so just go ahead and tie me to the stake. You don't need to nail me to it. And there's some other things about that martyrdom document I'm not sure I quite fully believe. But there is here this influence that for those who believe in Jesus' name, there doesn't need to be a reason for fear, and there doesn't need to be a cause of concern that God will not provide. The God who calls Polycarp to faith and the God who calls you to faith is the God who will give you an answer for the hope that fills you. He is the one who gives you very real and very true blessings when you are persecuted, and he is one who calls you to stand alongside with Polycarp and speak the truth of the name of Jesus, to warn people about their sin, and at the same time, to speak the truth of the gospel of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, for the sake of sinners, for the sake of all, for the sake of the whole world. And all of that is done for us by most especially by the work of the Holy Spirit as he comes to us. And so when we look at the influence of Polycarp, it's not that he's singular, but rather that he comes in this great train, this great cloud of witnesses that speaks to and continues to shine forth that there is nothing, not even death, that will separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And they will boldly confess their faith to the end, even to the point where they might even raise their hands and say, away with the atheists, because here we have truth that whatever man can do to us, it is before our God, our Savior and our King, that we truly and really have this hope of the gospel that our Lord Jesus brings us. Yeah, I think that's that's a very valuable thing for us. Is there something you, I don't know if in, enjoy is the, is the right word, but but enjoy about learning about people like Polycarp and and sharing these stories of the faith with maybe people in your own congregation, but also just other Christians. What is the value in that? I I think that there's a huge value. I know know there's a number of Christians who will sometimes say, but 
I'm so afraid that if persecution ever comes, maybe I won't have the right words. Maybe I, maybe I won't be able to make the good confession like, say, Polycarp did or some of these other early martyrs in Christ's church. Maybe what God has done through them, maybe I won't be able to do it. And I think having some of these accounts, Polycarp's for sure included, talks about the importance of Christ's church, how Jesus Christ is the very center of his church, and that when we're, when we're marched into a stadium or just at a, you know, over a coffee with a friend and someone challenges our faith, we can say, Jesus has been faithful to me for this long. I can keep being faithful to him. He hasn't given up on me. Why would I be the one to change that? Uh, and why would I do it now? And to hear these accounts that the work that is done by Polycarp in faith or, or any other Christian is an encouragement and a confidence to us today, knowing that there's nothing that the world can do to us that is going to take us away from our Lord. And so we get to continue to live with that jo joyous, bold, vibrant faith that continues to confess exactly who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and his great and immeasurable love for us. How does the church commemorate Polycarp of Smyrna today? It's another interesting question. Certainly, Polycarp is included in our, in our commemorations. But for a lot of Christians, these commemorations are, are of a level that we don't always get to talk about them. That's why I'm so glad that you guys are having these conversations about these commemorations that we have, Polycarp and Valentine and others, St. Patrick's coming up too. And they're there's a whole system of classifying festivals and commemorations, and these are some of these are a little bit further down the list. Uh, you know, on a day when, say, say the Annunciation is coming up next month, when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, "Blessed are you, you're the mother of God." Wow. We, we, we will replace a Sunday sometimes with the Annunciation because it's such a big festival. We'll do similar things, say, with Jesus' ascension into heaven and other festivals of Jesus. For those who were Jesus' disciples and apostles, we will also sometimes move Sundays uh, and have a saint's day like St. Timothy and Titus or uh, St. Matthew, St. Matthias and others to be celebrated on that day. But here, what do we do on Valentine's Day or what do we do on Polycarp Day? Uh, a lot of our friends haven't even heard of Polycarp and have no idea uh, who he is or why he's important. But what's most important when we remember Polycarp and when we remember others is he mattered to Jesus. And as our brother in Christ, that means that Polycarp, our brother in Christ, matters to us in his church. So if that's simply taking a moment to pray and to give thanks for uh, God's faithfulness to Polycarp, or to, to think about the faithful martyrs who have gone before us, that's exactly what we do. But if it's okay, I'd like to commemorate Polycarp today by closing in prayer. Would that be all right? That would be excellent. All right, let us pray. And this, get, this is the, the collect or the prayer of the day for Polycarp, bishop and martyr. Let us pray. O oh God, the maker of heaven and earth, you gave boldness to confess Jesus Christ as King and Savior and steadfastness to die for the faith 
to your venerable servant, the holy and gentle Polycarp. Grant us grace to follow his example in sharing the cup of Christ's suffering, so that we may also share in his glorious resurrection, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. What a fantastic history lesson for today. Our guest today, Pastor Peter Ill of Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. Pastor Ill, thanks so much for helping us learn about Polycarp of Smyrna today. So glad to get to do it. Thank you so much, and God's blessings to you and our listeners. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.